Well, good morning. It is great for us to be together. It is good always for God's people to come together and join hearts and minds and voices and to worship him. For he is an amazing God, worthy of all praise and honor and glory that we can render to him. Good to be with you today. You know, all around us and all over this world, you know, people, men, recognize the, uh, the need, the importance, and the value for standards. Standards of authority throughout society. If you looked up the word authority in a Webster dictionary, you'd find something like this, as you see on the PowerPoint. You know, it is legal or rightful power, dominion, or another you know, definition, a right to command. You think about it, somebody, someone has to have that right to command, that right to rule, that right to, you know, to maintain law and order. Because if not, then what's going to be the result? There's going to be lawlessness, and there's going to be confusion, and there is going to be chaos. That's going to be the result you know, if there is nobody you know, fulfilling this role of authority. And that's true in all kinds of relationships. That's true in the home, in the family. Someone needs to be the one who has the authority to command. Uh, in the classroom, that is true. You know, you know, we have teachers here in this audience, you know, public teachers and, and private teachers. And clearly in that setting, that teacher has to have the authority in, in that moment. Uh, you think about the idea in your workplace. You know, if, there is, if nobody has authority, you know, what's going to result? In the community, in military, in commerce, on and on you go. We see and we recognize the importance and the value of standards of authority. You know, the standards of authority are implemented in all kinds of interactions. For example, what would happen if there were no standards for weights, volume, and lengths? What if there's no standard for those measurements? It'd be a mess, wouldn't it? You know, what if there was no standards for currency value or for time if there wasn't a particular standard authority that you relied on that was true and faithful and reliable what about traffic safety what about quality standards for food and drugs on and on you see all these different situations where there needs to be some kind of standard objective standard that guides and governs and administrates the practice of every kind of evil, the practice of every kind of greed would spread and escalate even more than what it is now if there were not standards of authority. But we're not here to talk about standards in society in regard to how to run things as a business or your purchases so you can trust that there is a an honest exchange going on we're here to talk about something even more and that is the need for authority in religion that's vital that's valuable that's important there needs to be the, uh, uh, an authoritative standard when it comes to matters of morality when it comes to matters of spiritual things because 
You know, you're not just talking about your pocketbook or even your physical health. You're talking about your soul. Your soul salvation is at stake when it comes to moral and spiritual matters, things pertaining to faith and religion. And so what one can do or not cannot do or what somebody should or should not do or ought or ought not to do in matters of faith and religion has long been, though, a point of contention. People do not all agree when it comes to what standard and how important is that standard when it comes to things pertaining to morality and spirituality and faith. One of the periods of biblical history in the Old Testament when people's lives were just simply in a mess was in the period of the Judges. And many of you know that that period of the Judges, when God was using those kind of servants to guide and direct the people, during that period, it is summed up by a phrase, for example, in chapter 21, verse 25, when it says, Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. When everybody was doing what's right in his own eyes, what happened? Well, look at Israel. Look at the time period of the judges. It was a mess. And there were some really, really, really terrible, horrible, bad things going on. And you really see that amplified at the end of the book. Yeah, where it describes some of of the events that unfolded. And it was all because everybody was doing what's right in their own eyes. They were not following the same standard of authority. When people are left to themselves, or when people seek to be their own authority, what happens is people end up living or walking according to the futility of their own thoughts. And when you follow the futility of your own thoughts, what happens is understanding is darkened and every kind of impurity is practiced. That's what happens when people do what's right in their own eyes. Religious division is another example of the fact that there needs to be a standard of authority. And we see all around us, people are divided religiously. You know, there's, you know that is apparent. And it testifies to the fact that People, you know, all of us, us included, all men, you know, what, what, what's happening is we, we need to be following a standard, but we all need to be following the same standard or the same right standard. And when I don't do that, well, then, you know, we go astray. And so there's confusion today in our world. And sometimes we might even be a bit, a bit confused about matters of faith, matters uh, of piety, you know, because we live in a culture, we live in a world, we live in a, in a country where pretty much, you know, people preach and promote the idea, do what's right in your own eyes. Do what makes you happy. And when we do that, we end up really deceiving ourselves. Deceiving ourselves, what, what, what's going to really make me happy? You know, because a lot of people think it really doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter what, what, what you think. It really doesn't matter what you do. It, doesn't, it just doesn't matter. You just do 
what you want to do. You can believe whatever you want to believe. You can do whatever you want to do as long as, you know, it's right in your own eyes. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. We think about the need for authority when it comes to matters of faith, when it comes to matters of morality, when it comes to matters of what should govern my behavior in relationships, when it comes to matters of piety in church. Well, let's talk about this idea of authority. Jesus, on one occasion, in Matthew chapter 21, in Matthew 21, Jesus basically says, when he sums it all up, is there's really only two kinds of authority. There's only two. It's either from God or it's not from God. It's one or the other. On this particular occasion in Matthew chapter 21, there are some priests and some elders, Jewish elders, who have approached Jesus. He's in the temple court grounds. He's in that temple complex And they come to Jesus, and and he says, verse 23, they came to him while he was teaching, and he said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? It's not a bad question. It's a good question. And it's a question that we should ask ourselves sometimes. But knowing the attitude and the hearts of this group of individuals, you know, that is pretty much displayed to us throughout the Gospels. You know, they're not coming with, you know, a sincere desire to really know what your authority is, Jesus, and we want to follow you. That's really not the reason they're asking. But they ask the question anyway. And so Jesus comes back to answer that question with a question. Verse 24, he says to him, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. And so the question is, the baptism of John was, you know, from, you know, when he says, was from what source? From heaven or from men? As you continue to glance at that passage, you see that, okay, they start talking among themselves about this matter. And they say, basically, well, if we, we say this, this is going to be Jesus' response. And if we say, we say, you know, the other thing, he's going to be this response. And they find themselves, they're bit in of a quandary, <laughs> Because Jesus got, Jesus has exactly where Jesus wants them. And so they just come back and say, well, we just don't know. Oh, they have an opinion. <laughs> they have an idea. They have a thought. They're just not saying what they're thinking. They're just, they ju- are just not going to answer the question. And so Jesus said, okay, you don't have to answer my question. And so I'm not going to answer your question. That was the point. You answer my question, I will answer your question. But the point we want to make here is simply Jesus really, you know, Nails it on the head when he says, okay, John's baptism. Yeah. The one who was in the wilderness preaching repentance because the kingdom is near and was baptizing all hundreds of Jews, baptizing them in the Jordan River. You know, you know why was John doing it? What, who gave John the authority, the right, the power to be preaching that message and, and performing baptism? On these individuals. And Jesus says, was it from heaven? Was it from God? Or was it from men? And that's still true today. When you take all, everything, kind of all the, you know, things that just kind of color stuff. And you just kind of narrow it down to a very simplistic, maybe in our thinking, very simplistic way. You know, is it from God or is it not from God? 
And we need to ask that question, really, about all kinds of things. We need to be asking that in our own personal life. You know, what I'm doing, is it from God? Am I doing what God wants me to do, am I, or am I doing what David wants to do? Which one is it? Is it from God, or is it from men? It rests on those two things. And the point is, the question implies there is a need for us to acknowledge and recognize there needs to be some kind of standard that I'm following. There needs to be a standard following. And ultimately, obviously, it needs to be God, but it's not always God. Sometimes the standard that people follow, when, even when, once again, our emphasis is not you know, the standard for commerce or the, the, the standards in, in medicine. You know, those all have their unique standards, rightfully so. And, and we rely on those standards as objective ways to try to create a society and a culture where there is a sense of honorableness and integrity and a rightness being upheld. So there's peace among us. But when it comes to matters of faith and piety, worship, uh, morality, you know, there's e- either it's from God or it's not. It's from men. But when you look at the sources of men, you know, what, what, talk about, okay, human authority. Think about that. Well, there, there's all kinds of standards or measures that you know, determine human authority. You know, man, really think about starting the Garden of Eden. <laughs> starting the Garden of Eden. And then just read on, you know, think through. Man has been substituting his will for God's from the beginning of time. That's been happening. And when we sin individually, in that moment, we have substituted our will in place of God's will. But when it comes to our, our convictions, our religious convictions, our faith convictions, you know, what are they founded upon? What are they based upon? Well, one source of authority is parents. Well, now God created the family. God has placed in the family a rightful, ordained stand, you know, people of authority. And so, it, but the point is, when it comes to your faith, your personal faith, your personal conviction, you know, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe what you believe? Now, God wants parents to raise their children right. And God wants parents to teach their children right. But the end, the point is, children, you must believe God, and that's it. You need to believe God. And there's a lot of people today who believe and practice what they practice religiously and by faith for no better reason than, well, that's what I was raised. I don't know why I do this. You know, go back to the probing question you know, of our brother Alan presented as we were turning our hearts and minds to the foot of the cross. Why am I doing this? It needs to be not be simply because of human authority. If you think about it, in Galatians 1.14, in Galatians 1.14, Paul was not always a believer of Jesus Christ. He was once a persecutor of Christ. But then he came to learn the truth. He came to know the truth. And when he learned that truth, he changed. But notice what he says about himself in verse 14, Galatians 1. I was advancing in Judaism... 
beyond many of my contemporaries, among my, many, my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. The idea, so he was basically holding to this because of the fathers. But when he learned the truth, what did he do? He obeyed the gospel. That's what he did. But there's other sources of human authority that people base their convictions. You know, why they do what they do religiously. It may be human wisdom or human creeds or preachers. Many put their trust in the wisdom of scholars. And there's a place for that. But who's the authority when it comes to morality? Who's the authority when it comes to matters of faith? It's not men. Men are not the source of heavenly wisdom. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, talks about the contrast between man's wisdom versus God's foolishness. In the, in the very simple terms, God's foolish, and God is not foolish, but if God had foolishness about him, his foolishness is so much wiser than man's wisdom. That's the point. There's no comparison. And for verse 20, you know, verse, verse 21, chapter 1, he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Man's wisdom is not going to lead you to God. But God's wisdom will lead you to God. God was well pleased with the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Is the message of Christ foolishness? Well, no. But people think it is. People think it's foolishness. And yet many people rely on the human wisdom and not on the wisdom found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or human creeds. You know, churches all, of all different kinds. They've got their church manuals. They've got your, their church disciplines. And what those things are is simply a summary, a summarization of what that group, that body of believers, you know, believe and teach and practice. And he basically says, this is what we're going to believe. And this is what we're going to do. This is our manual. This is our rule book. You know, if that creed contains more than what the Bible contains, more than what the gospel of Christ reveals, it contains too much. And if that creed or that manual or that discipline contains less than what the Bible teaches, less than what the gospel of Christ reveals, it contains too less. Human creeds are a human, human source of authority. Revelation 22 rewards about the principle of adding to or taking away from God's word. Particularly there in Revelation 22, the book of Revelation. If you add to this prophecy, God's going to add some things to your life and you're not going to like it. And if God, if you take away from this prophecy, God's going to take something away from you and you're not going to like that either. Why is that? Because this book of prophecy is from God. Revelation is not from men or preachers, including myself. The faith of many is built upon the clergy nowadays. A preacher is a human authority. He's a man like any other man, unless he is simply relaying what God has already said. If he speaks the truth, God's truth in love, then follow the truth. Don't follow him. You know, Christians don't need to make the mistake that our ancient brethren did back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
where they were elevating Paul and elevating Peter and elevating Apollos. All of those were faithful servants of God. They were not teaching error. None of them were. But in the minds and hearts of those saints, they were immature in thinking and in the sense that I'm, I'm a follower of this man and I'm a follower of that man. And Paul says, stop that stuff. Stop it. Is Christ divided? No, Christ is your Lord. Christ is your king. That's the authority you need to adhere to. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul, in admonishing the young evangelist, has this to say. You read there in verses you know, 3 through 5, it says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, what words? Well, words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, those words. See, that's, there's, there's, there's that standard. And with, the doctr- and, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. See, those kind of words. If they come with you advocating a different teaching you know, and that does not agree with the words of Christ and the words of the teaching of godliness, he goes on to say, well, that man, that teacher, he's conceited and understands nothing, but he has more, a morbid interest in controversial question disputes about words of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and evil suspicion, and constant friction between men of depraved mind, deprived of the truth, who suppose that all godliness is a means of great gain." Those are some pretty strong words, very insightful words, very revealing words. Where here, what, what the Spirit is revealing through Paul to Timothy is really revealing the heart of someone who is not speaking the sound words of Jesus Christ and the sound words of godliness. Those are sobering words to contemplate and consider. But also you have, for example, Conscience and feelings also play a big part of what, why people do what they do or for what reason that motivates them. The idea of let your conscience be your guide is a model of many people. The conscience plays a role in our life. You know, it, it, it has a part in, in, in helping us you know, do the right thing and stay from, away from the wrong thing. But the conscience in and of itself, by itself, the conscience is basically trained and shaped by the information and the values that are set in that person's life. And so the conscience, though it can be very helpful in leading us in the right direction or turning us from the wrong direction, the conscience by itself is a very, it can be a very misleading instrument of our thought process, of our heart. Paul, the apostle, recognized that. You're familiar with the account, the defense. You remember Paul was imprisoned because he was a Christian and a preacher of the gospel of Christ. And there's a number of times near the end of the book of Acts, Paul is standing before various court system arrangements, giving defense of why he was a Christian, why he taught the things he taught. It is in, it's in chapter 23 in verse 1, when he talks about the past, before he was a Christian, he, he says, he looked at the council and said, brethren, I have lived my life with, with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. 
His conscience never told him that he was, violently, he was going against God when he was putting Christians in prison and basically agreeing to their death. His conscience never told him that that was wrong. His conscience never told him when he was living a life of persecution against Christians under the religion of Judaism, his conscience never told him that he was doing something against God. No, I said, I have lived my entire life with a good conscience. But then he learned the truth. Can the conscience tell, point us in the wrong direction? Yes, it can. But Paul's conscience never told him that he was doing wrong and he was not convicted until the truth, in a sense, hit him in the face and humbled him. And then he came to his senses and realized, as he tells Timothy years, you know, you know, when, in right, years later, when he, you know, after being converted, and he talks about that conversion, and he says, it's by God's grace I'm a minister of Christ now. You know, I am, I am the chiefest of sinners because of the kind of sinner I was. But his conscience, he, he thought he was doing right when he was doing that. But also feelings. Emotions can be very deceptive, and we know that. Emotions are very powerful things. They're valuable things in our life, and, we're, and we are to experience those emotions but we're to use those emotions in a way that we can serve God, glorify God, praise God. You know, but emotions can be very deceptive. Do you remember the story of Joseph and Jacob? You know, Joseph's brothers were not nice guys. Talk about sibling rivalry. You didn't want, you did not want to be, you know, you didn't want to be a son of Jacob. You know, you know, it, it was not always a very nice family. Well, the brothers turn against Joseph. You know, fortunately, the oldest brother, Reuben, stopped them from killing their brother. But then you know, he sold into slavery. And just, you know, just show that at the moment the, 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 the kind of hearts it had. So they take Joseph's robe. You remember that, remember that coat of many colors? They take that robe, and, and what do they do? With it? They dip it in blood, and they, they go back to dad. They come to dad, and they present this. He said, oh, look, is this Joseph's coat? They are so deceptive. They are so evil at this moment. What they do is they present things in a way that Jacob believes a lie. And emotionally, emotionally, he believed that lie until the day he saw Joseph with his own eyes in Egypt. Emotions are powerful things and good things, but they cannot be the standard. None of these sources of human authority are going to unite us because we're all we're going to all be different in these ways. That's why only God, only God, can be our standard. Why? Well, because He is the source. He's the source of truth. I may speak the truth in love, and I ought to speak the truth in love, but I am not the source of truth. I am not the originator of truth, but God is. James 1, James 1 there in verse 16 through 19, when he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given 
And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God can be trusted. He can be trusted totally and completely. And he goes on to say in verse 18, in the exercise of his will, the exercise of God's will, will he, you know, will he you know, brought us forth, he brought us forth, excuse me, I'm reading that wrong. He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. God is the source of truth. Jesus said the same thing in John 14 when he says, I am what? I am what? Three things. The way, the truth, the life. Jesus is that. Why? Because he is the son. He is the exact representation. He is the exact embodiment of God in the flesh. So he is truth. As his father is truth. And so here is God. God can be our only standard for matters of faith, matters of morality, and matters of, of piety, church, and worship, and all those things. And so God has supplied for us a standard that directs us in those things. God has given us a standard of authority that governs us in the matters of faith and righteousness and religion. Staying here in James 1. James 1, you continue reading. He said, okay, in verse 18, according to his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be his creatures. Verse 19, now that we're his creatures, he says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to hear. You know this stuff. You know this, what I've just told you, but you need to be very quick to listen to God you need to be slow to talk back to God, and you definitely need to be slow to be angry against God. Why? Verse 20, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now, the anger of God can achieve righteousness. But the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, that being true, therefore, Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. God is the source of truth, and God has supplied that truth through his word, the revelation of his will and his mind. So what is the nature of that word? What is, what is the characteristic or the character of the word of truth that originates from God? Well, first of all, it is inspired. It is God-breathed. Now, God used men, chosen men throughout time, but chosen men of faith. He chose who he would speak his message through, whether it was through Abraham, Noah, Moses, Jesus, John, Paul. It didn't matter. God chose, and when they spoke by the direction of the Holy Spirit, what they said was God-breathed. The source was God. It was not men. And that is why in 2 Timothy, Paul reminds the preacher of the importance of the Scriptures. Why it's so important. And so he tells them, all scripture is inspired by man. Well, no, of course not. No, all scripture is inspired by God. That is, God breathed those scriptures 
through his servants throughout time. Old Testament, New Testament, and what God breathed out, as you continue to read, is profitable. That's profitable for teaching David. And that's profitable for reproving David. And that's profitable for correcting David. And that's profitable for training David in righteousness so that David can be a man of God equipped for every good work. What's the nature of this standard of truth contained in the revelation of the mind of God? It is inspired and it is complete. Jude says it's once for all delivered, but then you turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. What does it say? About all, where are you going to find all things that pertain to life and God? Where are you going to find everything you need for life directed in godliness? Where are you, where are you going to look? You're going to have to look to, the, to a knowledge of God. That's why. And so verse 3, seeing that, that his divine power granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. God has given us everything we need. How? Through the true Knowledge of him, of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Where, where are you going to learn the true knowledge of him? It's going to be in his scriptures. It's going to be found in his authoritative standard of truth. That's why it's the sole authority for matters of faith and righteousness, and religion. It is the sole authority. In Galatians 1, Paul is concerned about his brethren in this area of Galatia. He's very concerned for them because they are being influenced and swayed by some teaching that was not sound words of Jesus Christ. And so he says in chapter 1 of Galatians, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Are there messages out there in our world today that are distorted? Yes, there are. Almost limitless. Where are you going to find the true message of the gospel of Christ? It's right here in these pages. That's where you're going to find the undistorted message of Christ. But he goes on to say, why is this so important? He said, well, because if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. It's the sole authority. Completely. That's why Jesus could say in, uh, in John 12, 48, he rejects my words... Rejects who? Rejects God. And will be judged by the word that I have spoken. We have no other standard that can save us but the word of truth that comes from God. We have no other standard that will direct us in true righteousness, true holiness, true godliness than the, the, the scriptures that God has breathed out to us. God has spoken. 
That's a powerful statement. God has spoken. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, he says, In days gone by, God spoke in different ways through the fathers. But verse 2, In these last days, God has spoken. How? Through whom? His Son. That's who. God's final word through Jesus Christ is to be respected and used in a way that we recognize it is the ultimate authority, the only authority to live by. And we're, we're going to be accountable to that. Staying in Hebrews, you know, looking in verse, you know, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says you know, uh, about the idea of paying attention, knowing that God has spoken you know, through his son, this son who is greater than angels, you know, the son who is to be worshipped, he says, verse two, you know, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, for this reason we must pay much closer attention. You know, God has spoken and we better listen. We better pay close attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away from it. Can that happen? Yes. Has God's people d- drifted away before? Yes. Have Christians drifted away from Christ? Yes. So he said, pay attention. So you don't drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, if that was true then, verse 3, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Where is that? You know, who has spoken the salvation? Who's revealed the salvation? Who's made the salvation possible? It's Christ. God has spoken through his Son, How should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So pay attention to what you have heard. Pay attention to what you read from God's word. goes on to say why. After it was at first spoken to the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God testifying with them by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. We are accountable on how we use God's word. Everyone is. Everyone is. And those who are not using it properly, those who are not following it, are accountable to it. They're going to be judged by God's standard. Because all along, God has intended God's intended that a single standard of authority to be used. When it comes to matters of faith, matters of righteousness, matters of religion, God has always intended that one standard of authority is to be used. Whose? His. His standard. That's why, for example, in in conclusion, Paul kind of gives this admonishment, this exhortation to the brethren in Philippi when he says he commanded them to live by the same standard. He says, says, you brothers and and sisters in in Philippi, I exhort you, I urge you, live by the same standard. And what standard? The standard of Christ. When we outstep that standard, when we go beyond that standard, that realm of God's authority, when we do that, whether it's personally or congregationally, whatever, when we go beyond the standard, we've disobeyed. We've transgressed, and we have opened the door for just anything to be done in religion and, be, and justify ourselves in so doing. So my, my plea to you is may, us, may we all be reminded to respect God's word and hold it with the greatest of reverence and to use it 
use it, handle it rightly, not just to defend the gospel, but to live by it. Because God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has revealed and commanded that there is one way a sinner can be saved. Only one. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can save you. And to be saved by Jesus, God has spoken what a sinner must do to be saved. God, through his Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit, has said you must believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He died on the cross for your sins, and he was raised on the third day. You must believe that he died and he was raised, both of those. But with that faith, if you're going to do what God says, if you're going to follow the authority of Christ, then you must, by faith, repent of your sin. You must turn away from the sin that is entangled in your life that ensnares you. You must confess that faith with your mouth before others unashamedly that you believe Christ to be the Son of God. And you must be baptized. You must be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Because that's what Jesus commanded. And you are raised to do what? To live a life of faith now. To be faithful to him in the sense of continue to submit to that authority in all aspects of your life, whether it's your family, whether it's your job, whether it's your entertainment, it doesn't matter. Every aspect of your life is to be guided and governed and helped by the authority of God revealed in Christ. If you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become one today. And you can. You can become a Christian because God has made that possible. The power is in Christ. And if you believe and obey him, you become his, and your sins will be forgiven, and all those sins will, will be remembered no more. When God forgives a sin, it is forgiven. What a blessing that is, because we all need forgiveness, don't we? If we can help you any way spiritually to make your life right with Christ, to put on Christ in obedience to the gospel, or as a child of God that is strayed and you're needing the prayers of your brethren here to pray with you and for you to overcome whatever that hurdle is with the help of God's grace, we invite you to please come, make your wishes known, or we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>